Okay, well, uh, I'm happy to be here, and uh, certainly uh, the story of David and Goliath to me is just one of the great, great stories of uh, the Old Testament, and really all the uh, studies that we're going to be looking at, it uh, was kind of based upon the thought uh, of the quote from the Old Testament here in Acts chapter 13, uh, 21 and 22, it says, And afterward they desired a king, and God gave unto them Saul, the son of Sis, the man of the tribe of Benjamin, by the space of forty years. Verse uh, 22, And when he had removed him, he raised up unto them David to be their king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after mine own heart, uh, which shall fulfill all my will. And, and that's kind of the theme of the week as we talk about David as a man after God's own heart. And the le- uh, lesson series is entitled Having a Heart for God. And tonight we're going to talk about David and Goliath. It, uh, like I said, it's just one of the thrilling stories. And, and we're going to read probably most of the chapter 17 and then we'll at the end, make application, but it, it just, the, the storyline is just great. And it, it, it actually just became a proverbial saying, David versus Goliath, David versus, versus Goliath. And, and that just, uh, you, you see that in sports analogies and all kinds of ways of David versus Goliath. And anyway, then tomorrow night we'll talk about David and Saul, and then we're going to talk about David and Bathsheba. And, uh, but anyway, tonight is from 1 Samuel chapter 17, because Goliath was a giant. But that's not the first encounter with a giant. You have back, uh, back in the, uh, book of Numbers, there were giants that were described. Uh, you remember God said, uh, uh, to Moses to choose out twelve spies to go spy out the land. And why did he choose twelve? Right? Exactly, there were 12 tribes, so there were 12 spies, and they chose the 12 tribes. And uh, there in verse, uh, I just want to look at two or three verses here in Numbers, because uh, really there's kind of an interesting, uh, kind of just just the opposite of, of how they handled and reacted to the giants in Numbers chapter 13 and 14, is just the opposite of how David handled the giant in 1 Samuel chapter 17. And what they lacked in in the book of Numbers, dealing with giants, is what David had, and of course what we need, and that is, uh, of course, having a great deal of faith and courage, and faith and courage, they just sort of interrelate. If you don't have faith, you're not going to have courage. And if you have faith, you're going to have courage. Uh, they just go hand in hand because God's going to be on your side. Uh, notice there in Numbers 13 and number 2. Numbers 13 and verse 2, uh, I'm not sure who reads, so we'll just... Volunteer, and if you'd like to read, all right, Cody, great. Yeah, verse 2. All right, notice there he says, uh, to go spout the land of Canaan, which I give them. Now, what does that mean? If God says, I'm giving them the land, well, what, what should your thought be? They're going to be able to conquer it. I mean, God's not going to give you something that you can't possibly attain. I mean, that seemed pretty, pretty... Pretty bad. But if he says, I give it to you, okay, yeah, I guess we're going to be able to take it. And then as they go spout the land for 40 days, oh yeah, it's a marvelous land, it's fertile, and, and they bring back these great big bunches of grapes, and, and it's like between two guys, they're carrying great big clusters of grapes, and they come back and say, yeah, 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 it's, it's, it's a nice land, and it's fertile, and here's some fruit, and, and it's wonderful. But then at the end of chapter uh, 13, 
Notice there in number 3233. 3233. Someone want to read that for us? All right. So they said, yeah, yeah, that's a wonderful land. But you know, then it happens. There, there's like these giants. I mean, there, there's some big guys there. And not only are they giants, but they are like the children of giants. They're like the grandchildren of giants. I mean, their great-granddaddies were giants. I mean, it's just, just a, a whole lineage of these giants. And, and we just sort of look like grasshoppers. And if you've ever encountered a grasshopper, how do you react to a grasshopper if they bother you? Yeah, you just reach over and step on them or thump them and be done with them. You know, they're, 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 they're nothing. And that's the way they felt in the sight of the people. We're just grasshoppers and they're just going to thump us and we're, yeah. Well, were there, were there, were there giants in the land? Yeah, certainly. And so it was, even with David when he faced the giant. Yeah, he was a real live giant. He was a horse of a fellow, as we'll talk about. And then the people, they believed the ten spies and they said, no, no, we can't do it. And even though Joshua and Caleb said, yeah, we can take it, God's going to be on our side. I want you to notice in chapter 14, number 11, chapter 14, number 11, there are numbers. And here's the basic problem of why they couldn't conquer. How long will it be before they believe in me? I mean, God had worked all kinds of signs. He had worked the signs in Egypt, uh, the crossing of the Red Sea. I mean, God had demonstrated his power. And But the problem, fundamental problem, was a lack of faith. And that's why they couldn't conquer the giant. And the reason David could conquer Goliath is because he had faith in God. Was Goliath a big fella? Yeah, we're going to see that. We'll talk about that. So let's turn to uh, 1 Samuel chapter 17. And notice uh, what we have as we talk about the story of David and Goliath. All right, first off, verses 1 through 11 talks about Goliath as he's defying Israel and the armies of Israel, which in essence is defying God because these people... Uh, claimed to follow God and claimed to be God's people and were God's people, so in essence he was defying God. It describes the area that they were and some of these little towns, it's sort of like talking about uh, Quail and Willela. Now, a few people here will know Quail and Willela up in Rock Castle where I live, but you probably don't know about Powersville and Brooksville. Yeah, I didn't know that. That's where my parents are from, these little small communities. And so you had a lot of these little small towns, and sometimes we kind of know where they are and where they're not. But it's, it's down in the southern part there of Judah near the uh, uh, the Philistines, of course, who was the little country there along the Mediterranean Sea in the southern part of Israel. All right, well, it describes you've got, the, you've got the armies of the Philistines, and they're over on this side of the mountain. There's kind of this big valley here, and then the Israelites, they're over on that other side, and they can kind of talk back and forth. I mean, you got to imagine that you don't have cars making noise and a lot of other things making noise, so yeah, they can kind of talk back and forth. And the Philistines, they had this big dude, this big guy, this giant of a fellow named Goliath, that, well, he was taunting the people. So let's notice there in verse uh, verse 4 and verse 5. Verses 4 and 5. Someone want to read that? All right. So Goliath, he was six cubits, six cubits and a span. A cubit is the distance from the end of your finger to your elbow. So it's approximately 18 inches. So six times 18 inches is what? Nine feet. So this guy, he's big. Nine feet. I didn't have a mate tape measure, but I'm guessing probably the top of that speaker, or maybe a little bit above, will be 
around nine feet and a half. So that's, that's a big guy. I mean, he's just big. And uh, sometimes people uh, criticize that, and the span is the, the width from your, uh, the span of a hand. Uh, so sometimes people say, ah, oh, this just seems, ah, oh, it seems pretty far-fetched. And, and, you know, is the Bible really reliable? Well, yeah. Because there was a fellow back in the, um, the 30s in our modern history. His name was, uh, let's see, I wrote it down. His name was Robert Waldo. Robert Waldo. Anybody know how tall that guy was? 8'11". 8 feet, almost 9 feet tall. I mean, this is just a few inches shorter than Goliath that's described in the Bible. So, I mean, if Robert Waldo can be almost 9 feet tall, why couldn't somebody else be 9 feet tall or a little over 9 feet tall? But he's not like some. You know, sometimes you have real tall people. I've, I've, I've noticed sometimes in basketball you get these big tall fellows, but they're kind of, kind of on the lean side. You know, they're kind of, kind of scrawny, sort of like me. You know, kind of a little on the anorexic side, and so they're easy to be pushed around even though they're tall. But this guy, I take it, he's like a horse of a fellow. And the reason being because it describes his armor that uh, this armor weighs like 5,000 shackles. Anybody look that up about how much that is in pounds? Two-fifths of an ounce. What I calculated up, uh, and there's different figures, assuming what the shekel would be, is anywhere from 133 pounds to 149 pounds of armor. Now, you take, you know, like, I'd be like almost, well, if it's 50 pounds, I'd be like three sacks of fertilizer, 50-pound bags of fertilizer. Now, that's a pretty big load just to carry in and of itself. And so here this guy, he, he's got all this armor on, and it's pretty heavy. So I think it's a pretty stout fellow able to pack around that, uh, that much armor. And then notice as we continue on there, number six and seven, six and seven. So want to read that for us? Alright, so he's got this big spear and a weaver's beam. I've seen some of the ancient, uh, weaving looms and, I think it's like that. Some of the spears, you know, are just sort of small, but I think it's about about like that. I mean, it's, it's a big spear. And the head of it weighs this 600 shekels. And that's about mm, anywhere from 16 to 18 pounds. Now, I don't know if you've ever picked up something that's kind of heavy on the end. The longer the spear, you've you got to have pretty strong arm muscles to carry something that's sticking way out there that weighs like 16 pounds. And so this guy, he is big, and he is strong, and he's a warrior, and he's, you know, well-trained, and he's been fighting, and he's taunting the people, as we shall see. Notice there, number eight and nine. Eight and nine. Someone want to read that for us? All right. So he throws out this challenge. And I'm not really sure whether the Philistines didn't seem like they really kind of went along with that because when he fell, they just sort of take off. They didn't say, okay, well, yep, yeah, you won. I guess, okay, well, now we're your servants. You, you don't read anything about it like that. But he was so big and so daunting. And it was like, you know, who's going to come out and fight this guy? Who's going to come out and fight him? You know, hey, let's just, instead of we're all of us fighting, you know, I'll just come forward and you just send one guy and we'll do the fighting. And whoever wins, well, we'll just be each other's servants, uh, depending on who the winner is. And, and it looked pretty obvious to him, being so big, since there was nobody else that big. Now, Saul was bigger than the average uh, Israelites. Am I remember how he's described? Yeah, head and shoulders taller. So he's 
about a foot taller. So if you got the average guy around six foot, he'd be about seven foot. And if they're a little bit shorter, but, you know, he's about a, a foot taller, uh, but he doesn't accept the challenge either. And so he's taunting the Israelites. Send somebody out. Notice number 10 and 11. <clears throat> All right. So he's taunting the people. He says, I defy the armies of Israel. And nobody comes out. And King Saul and all the army people and everybody else. Are like, oh. It's like they, they are so scared. Oh, they're just trembling in their boots. And they are dismayed. They are dismayed. Uh, the definition is to prostrate, to break down. I mean, it's just like... Whoa, they just like your knees knocking and they just, they just sort of crumble and, and graveling at the, the thought and the sound of this guy's voice. I mean, nobody's wanting to go out there and face this fellow. Well, then we move to the next section that sort of gives what happens with David. David visits the camp. His dad, he has he's, these eight boys. The three older boys happen to be in the military service of King Saul. And David, being the youngest, I take it when you read the various phrases of youth, I'm guessing, I'm not positive, it's kind of hard to indicate. My figuring is that he's maybe 17, 18, 19, maybe 20. I, I don't know, I don't know, I'm not, I'm not positive. It, it says that he's a youth and uses those phrases. You look up the definition of those words and it talks the idea of a, of a boy or a servant. And uh, I don't see, you know, like uh, 12 years old. I don't, I don't see that. He, he has some responsibilities taking care of sheep and, and various things and big enough to know how to get around. So I'm, I'm taking it that he's maybe 18, 19, 20. So somewhere in there, maybe he's a little, maybe he's a year or two younger. But, but somewhere in there, he's described as a youth. And uh, anyway... So it talks about Jesse, he has these eight boys there as it picks up there in number 12. And, and he's concerned, you know, I wonder what's happening with the older boys, you know, they're in the military. And, and so he sends David to go and check on them. And uh, anyway, this Philistine, morning and night, it says in verse 16, the Philistine drew near morning and evening and presented himself 40 days. So day after day, tomorrow's August 1st. You think 40 days, August, 31 days? Nine days from August 1st all the way to September 9th. I mean, day and night, just continually, continually challenge me. Hey, send somebody out. Hey, hey, what are you, a bunch of scaredy cats? Come on, you certainly got somebody come out and fight me. Come on, somebody. Reminds me of this fellow that <clears throat> I don't... I, I, a lot of times I accept people on Facebook. I, I figure maybe sometimes you have opportunity to teach somebody and... So I've got like 3,600 friends. And I do. But there's this fellow down in Texas. He like chimes in on Messenger. And he's big, big husky kind of fellow. He says, hey, you want to arm wrestle? It's like, well, no, not really. I mean, looking for any photos, there's no way I'm going to win. So, you know, and it's, I don't know. That was, that was a weird conversation. I mean, a total stranger. I'm in Texas talking to somebody. You know, hey, you want to arm wrestle? <coughs> maybe, maybe he looked at my pictures. Thought, yeah, I, got, I can whip that guy. <laughs> I, I done said you can, you can whip me. I wasn't no contest. <clears throat> but anyway, for 40 days, I mean, challenge somebody, come out and fight, but nobody. They're all cowering down. Well, anyway, 
Jesse sends David, we read in verse 17, and he takes some corn, he takes ten loaves of bread, and you go to the camp and check on your brothers. He takes these ten cheeses to give to the captains of the thousands, verse 18, and uh, check out what's happening there. And then it says in verse 20, David rose up early in the morning and left the sheep with the keeper, which says what? Yeah, well, yeah, it says, it says that he's responsible. Instead of just leaving the sheep, I mean, he, he gets somebody to help take care of the sheep while he's gone. And so he goes as Jesse had commanded him, which says obedience. I mean, that's a good quality to have, is it not? Yeah, obedience. And so he did that. And so he comes and uh, anyway, he gets down to the to the battlefield there into the area and all this going on. And uh, it says there in verse 1, Israel and Philistines had put the battle in array, army against army. And then it says David left his uh, carriage or his bags there. And, and he goes and, and he goes and greets his brethren, verse 22. And anyway, notice there number 23, 24. 23, 24. Someone want to read that for us? 23, 24. All right. So David gets to experience this firsthand. He sees this big guy, this Philistine, this big warrior fellow all decked out. I mean, a monster-sized fellow, just a giant-sized guy. And coming out and saying those words, you know, somebody, present somebody to fight with me, and da-da-da-da, going over the same spiel. And, well, everybody just, well, they're just, they're just terrified. They're just, whoa, wow. Well, anyway, they talk about that. And in verse 25, uh, number 25-26, someone want to read that? 25-26. All right, so here some of the guys are talking about, you know, if you could... If you can do battle with Goliath and win, hey, there's going to be some rewards in this. And what were there? Ah, you're going to get to marry the king's daughter. You're going to get riches. Yeah, you're going to get a lot of money out of this. And one other. Free, free. That was probably without taxation or maybe not have to be drafted or anything like that to be free from uh, being in the army. Something along that line. Uh, exactly what it means, but certainly a promise of blessing there. And then David asked, and maybe he didn't actually hear that, so they explained, yeah, here's all the rewards. But David's concern was, there's somebody defying the armies of the living God. I mean, this fellow, this Goliath of Gath, I mean, this Philistine, a worshiper of false gods and deities, he is defying Jehovah God. Now, Jehovah, does anybody know what the term Jehovah means? It's very similar to the phrase, I am. You know, there in Exodus 3, uh, when Moses sees God at the burning bush, and he's talking with God, and, well, you know, they're going to ask what his name is, and you say, I am that I am. I am has sent you. Uh, Well, that's Emmanuel, God with us. But, pardon? The self-existent one. The alone existent, the existent one. When God said, I am, that's present tense. Why? Because God has always existed. You know, you, you talk about uh, Randy Parsons. He was born, what, which, which birthday? 53. What? May 31st, 1953. Hey, this guy entered in planet Earth. You know, he was born into this world. And we talk about his beginning. You go to cemeteries and they have the birth date and then the other date is the day that they die. They have an ending. He's talking about God. He does not have a beginning. He does not have an ending. He is eternal. He is I am. He has always existed. 
that, that's just hard to wrap around to think that God's always this way, but that's the only explanation of the world that we live in. You see, we live in time before the creation of the world, planet Earth and the moon, the stars and human beings and cows and birds and all that. In eternity past, God existed. And then there came time because God created the world and eternity the future, God will exist because he's always existed. He is the existent one. And so that's the idea of Jehovah. And these gods of the Philistines or whatever, the Canaanites or the Egyptians, they are what? They're false gods. They're make-believe. It's kind of like Goldilocks and the three bears. You know, it's kind of like Batman. It's like Superman. I mean, it's just all a fairy tale. It's make-believe. It's the imagination of people who come up with these various gods and the various names of the gods. They're not alive. They, they have statues and idols to represent these various gods. And these, these idols, they have eyes, but they can't what? They can't see. They have a mouth, but they can't talk. They have ears, but they... Can't hear. They have feet, but they can't walk. Exactly. You got you, you got to get that big idol and like, move it around. You know, and that that's it's a dumb idol. It, it, it can't talk. It can't think. It can't do anything. It's just a piece of concrete, piece of wood, silver, gold, whatever they've got on it. But David is concerned that this guy he has defied the armies of the living God. He has he's put a challenge down concerning about uh, God. Well, anyway, he encounters Eliab there in verse 28. And just look at that briefly, number 28. Someone want to read that? 28, 29. All right. So, Eliab, he's kind of like the big brother. You know, he's Mr. Macho Man. Here's the little kid brother. You know, he's the youngest. Uh, uh, you know, eight brothers. And he's the little, he's the baby brother. And, yeah, well, so you, you just want to come down and play soldier. You know, you just want to, you're a little bit too big for your britches, David. Uh, and, uh, you know, your pride's got the best of you. You're just Mr. Big Britches and think you're going to be a big boy and be a part of the military. And really, you're just still a kid. And, you know, just sort of condescending attitude toward him. And David said, what, 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 what for some reason I'm, I'm here? And why was he there? Well, he's going to do that, but why, why, why was he there? Exactly, his daddy sent him there. Hey, dad sent me to come here. Hello. You know, he, he, you know, he's the kind of patriarch of the family. He's the one that sent me. Yeah, there was a reason. And so David, he's talking with them and he's talking about, you know, yeah, I can take this Philistine on. And so what happens is that word gets back. And so we come into verse 32 that they tell King Saul. And so Saul says, hey, bring, bring that boy down here. Let's hear what he has to say. All right, so that's where we're going to pick up, number 32, 33. All right, so David said, hey, don't worry about it. I'll take this Philistine on. And then Saul said, well, wait a minute. You're just, you're just a young man. You're just a young guy. And this guy, he's been a soldier and been training for a long time. I mean, he, he's he's a well-trained soldier, and I just don't think you're able to do that. So David explains, number um, 34, 35, 34, 35. All right, now, lions and bears are pretty strong. And, you know, I've confronted them, and somehow, exactly how he did it or what he used, and, you know, he, that... That takes 
pretty pretty good courage to, to face a, a lion or a bear. I mean, they're pretty powerful animals. Uh, but he was able to overcome them. And he's just thinking that somehow in divine providence that God helped him deal with these ferocious animals and very powerful animals. And the Philistines, he, well, he's he going to be like them. I mean, God helped me to take them down and uh, protect the sheep. I think God's going to be able to help me. So notice number 36 and 37. 36, 37. So I want to read that. All right. Well, if God helped me with the lion, with the bear, I mean, the Philistines are going to be the same way. I mean, you know, lions and bears are pretty, pretty strong animals. I mean, you can see it pick up this big animal, you know, weighs two or three hundred pounds and just carry it or climb up a tree. Some of these, these big cats are very strong and bears, same way, just very strong. And he just felt, you know, hey, this guy has defied the armies of the living God and God's going to help me. And, you know, was Goliath a big fella? Absolutely. I mean, nine and a half feet tall, this guy's big. He's not just a big, tall, skinny fellow. He's just a big guy. I mean, just big, big. Tall and big. Strong. But who was bigger? God. And that was the the problem in the days of the spies. Yeah, there were giants in the land, but hey, there's somebody bigger than the giants, and that's God. And that's what David saw. That's what the spies didn't see. Now, Caleb and, and Joshua, they saw God was big enough, and God would give them the victory, but... The ten spies didn't, and then the people believed the ten spies, and so that whole generation, except two people, were wiped out because of their unbelief. We've got to have faith in the power of God. Yeah, sometimes Satan's big, and sometimes problems look pretty, pretty, pretty uh, daunting, but hey, God is bigger. And that's where we've got to have faith. And so David said, The Lord hath delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear. He will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said, God be with you. That's a demonstration of faith. And his courage was related to his faith. You remember, like for instance, there's several examples you can look in the New Testament. Like when the apostles are out on the sea and, you know, there's a storm and Jesus is asleep and they're all terrified, thinking, oh, that's going, it's going to be the end, we're going to die, and they're waking up the master. And what did he say to them? What? Oh, you have little faith. You see, they were scared because they had little faith. You see, it's, it's sort of related. That courage, moral and spiritual courage, is related to our faith and our confidence in the Lord. And when you have great confidence and faith in the Lord and the greatness and the power of God, well, that gives you courage. Not because we're something, but because God's something, because God's on our side. It's kind of like if we were going to play, you know, LeBron James and some of these other guys, and I pick four guys, you know, I get, uh, I get, uh, get Clint and Randy, and, and well, I can't get Gary because he's a Nico. But I get Cody and I get Rick, and we're going to take these guys on. They're like, uh, we're, we're going to lose. There's, there's no way. I mean, not, not reflection on these guys, they're good, they're good guys, but, you know, when you talk about, you know, LeBron James and all these guys, there's no way we're going to win. And, and the point is, but when God's on our side, we're, we're going to be winners. We're going to be winners. And that's, that's the point we need to see is that with God, we, we, we are going to win. And that's what David saw. And so Saul, he gives him his armor. And he says, oh, here, you're just right here. Take my armor and my hat and my uh, coat of mail and all this stuff. And David puts it on, but, you know, it's like, 
hadn't proved it. And he said, no, I can't handle this. As we read there in verses uh, uh, 38, 39, 40. But this is what David does. Number 40 and 41. 40 and 41. Someone want to read that for us? All right. So David takes a staff, a walking stick. I got a walking stick. What about walking? You know why I take a walking stick? Because if you have an encounter with dogs, it's like a rod of comfort. You just give a little <laughs> tap on the nose there and or strike the ground. It's like, okay, they back up. So it's a rod of comfort. I mean, you keep them at distance where they can't get close to you to, you know, bite into your flesh. So it doesn't take a lot. I mean, you don't have to have a machine gun or a bazooka to deal with dogs. Just a little stick and just, you know, just a, a little tap. And, you know, they'll just sort of back down. And and so he's got this staff. He picks out these five smooth stones. Smooth stones are interesting because with you have the sling, it's not like the slingshot we use. It's kind of like kind of the whip it. It's like in the, the velocity with the, with the smoothness. It, you know, it travels at a, at a, at a better rate of speed, etc., but anyway, he takes five stones, puts them in his bag, and he goes to meet Goliath. Now notice there, number 40, uh, 42, 43, 42, 43. Somewhere. All right, so David confronts him, and here's Goliath. He disdains him. That is, he despises. Disdain is a, is a term. It's like, you know, you got your garbage set out, or your garbage can, and it gets knocked over, and there's garbage strewn <laughs> like you disdain picking that garbage up, but you got to pick it up because it's your garbage, and you got to get it in the can, so the garbage man will take it off. So that's kind of the feeling. And Goliath, he had, you see this young kid, just a young whippersnapper coming out. It says that he's Rudy. That's an interesting term. Anybody know what that means? It's the idea of red, which a lot of red-headed people are like fair-complected. So he has like a fair complexion. If if like most Middle Eastern people that have tan skin, but he has kind of a, a more fair complexion. And he's young. Maybe he's not even shaven a lot yet. And so here's this boy, and he's coming out with sticks. He's got this little walking stick. And uh, Goliath, he, he, just, he just disdains. As he says, Am I a dog that thou comest to me with staves? And so he curses David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will uh, give your flesh to the fowls of the air and to the beasts of the field. Which means what? Yeah, I'll chop you up to pieces, and all these different animals and birds, they're going to just, hey, they're gonna, the buzzard's going to be happy. The vultures are going to be happy when I get finished with you. Now, the problem with Goliath is uh, what the wise man said in Proverbs 16, 18, pride go up before destruction, Holy Spirit before fall. I mean, from a physical standpoint, it's like, okay, me versus David, hey, no way I'm going to lose. I mean, that would be an impossibility. You know, me lose against this young boy? There's no way. So he has all this great confidence, but what does he not see? He, he doesn't see God. He doesn't see the God that David served. That's the problem. And so he's going to, well, that's not the only time in history where overconfidence, you know, has destroyed people. I always think when I, when 
we were last fall, last November, we went to the exhibit for Titanic. Titanic, a perfect example, perfect illustration of overconfidence because they thought they built a ship that couldn't sink. The unsinkable Titanic. It's not going to go down. But it did on its maiden voyage to the bottom of the ocean. You see, pride goeth before destruction, Holy Spirit before fall. Don't think, oh, you know, that's never going to happen to me. Yeah, yeah, it can. You see, the problem is we we think in in, in linear uh, scope of thinking that under these circumstances that I look at, no, it could never happen. But you know, there's there's other things out there, and that's what happened with the Titanic. And it was their overconfidence. And that's the thing about Goliath. I mean, he's looking just from the physical standpoint. You know, he's looking, I'm nine and a half feet tall, I'm older, I'm well trained, and here's just a kid, and he's all you guys a stick, and no way, I'm going to lose. And then David, he exemplifies great faith. He shows great boldness. Not arrogancy, but great boldness and courage and conviction. Notice number 4546, 4546, someone read that. All right. Yeah, I'm coming in the name of God, with the power of God, with God on my side. I'm I'm going to be the winner here. Not because I'm something wonderful, not because I'm something marvelous and I'm just a, a super, super strong guy or something. No, God's on my side. You've defied the armies of the living God, and you're going to see what the living God can do in His divine providence, and uh, not only your carcass, but also the carcass of the Philistine, they're going to be the ones that are going to be left for the feed, uh, feeding the vultures and the buzzards and, and the wild animals coming along and pick your flesh. That's what's going to really happen here. And he's showing great confidence and great conviction here as he stands before Goliath. Notice number 47 and 48. <clears throat> Someone want to read that? All right. The battle is the Lord's. That's who you're going to battle. You're going to be battling the Lord in what's happening here. It's not just me. You know, I'm just I'm the instrument. God is going to use me as the instrument, but it's the ba- the battle is, is the Lord. It's Jehovah God, the one, the, the 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 God that you've defied, that you've made fun of, and, and you've put your trust in, in all these pagan gods and all these all this fairy tale stuff. No, you're you're going to see who the true living God is. And this event, it would tell a lot of people round about that Jehovah, he didn't say and give, you know, not like he give David a lightsaber, you know, like Star Wars. He just goes up there and slices and dices. I mean, he didn't save by, no, he, he used a rock. He used a rock. To bring this guy down, he didn't need uh, swords and, and 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 spears to, to to accomplish his purposes. That's that's the power of God that he can take things that people just despise, make fun of, and he brings about his purposes. And Paul talks about that, like in the Book of First Corinthians. I mean, the cross was so despised, but he used the cross that was so despised to bring about salvation. I mean, it's just incredible how God does things <clears throat> and, uh, in in his in his uh, scheme of things. And then it talks about David that he hasted and ran toward. I remember several years ago watching a, a movie, or I don't know, maybe rented it or something, tapes or DVR in the digital age. But we watched this movie about David and Goliath. And it's like, you know, you think, well, maybe they could get it accurate. Like Moses and the Ten Commandments with Charleston Hessen. I mean, just... Just wacky, the stuff they put in there. I mean, just 
just, I don't know, somebody's imagination or grabbing things from all over the place. The only thing I liked about Moses and Ten Commandments was when the Red Sea parted. To me, that, that was pretty realistic. I like that. The rest of the movie was crazy. But, but that, I like that. I'll, I'll give credit for that. But we watched this movie of David and Goliath, and what they have in the movie, maybe, maybe it's because, you know, you only got so much vision. And they got David, he, 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 he's scrambling around, he, he's trying to get him a rock, and, and he... No, that's not what the text says. He's prepared. And he goes running toward Goliath. I mean, you got to think there's this valley. I mean, it's a field. I mean, it's not like he's like from here to Randy, and I got to run to him. I mean, like he he he's maybe out there, maybe by where Josh and Ashley live. You know, and you're talking back and forth. So then he takes off running toward Goliath, and he's got the stone, and he's got his sling, and he's whirling it. And as he approaches, he lets it go, and bam, right there in the forehead. As we will read. Notice there, number uh, 49. David put his hand in the bag and took thence a stone and slang it and smote the Philistine in his forehead. And the stone sunk into his forehead and he fell upon his face. Sunk. That, that, that had pretty high velocity, it looked like to me. I don't know how big the stone is. I think it's just maybe, maybe like that. But it doesn't take. Very big. When you have velocity, I mean, it's, you take like a, a bullet. I mean, it's just part of an ounce. But because of the high velocity, it does a lot of damage. And you get this sling, and it's, it's going. It's like, whoa! And man, it just it knocks him out cold. And oh, he goes falling down. All right, so, number 50, 51. 50, 51. Someone want to read that? All right, so David, he knocks him down. He doesn't have a sword, so he goes, just pulls out his sword, and he just chops his head off. That way, there's no, no, you know. It's always like in those scary movies. It's like, you know, they, they, the monster guy, they knock him down. It's like, why don't they finish him off or chop his head off or something, you know? Why why they just let him lay there so they can get up and, you know, scare you again? But, <clears throat> but he, he finishes the job. I mean, he chops his head off there. And so anyway, he the Philistines, they're like, boom. Well, when you have an army fleeing... They're very prone. So the, uh, the Israelites, they take off after them. And you got somebody running and you attack from the back, it's a lot easier to overcome and conquer. And that's what the Israelites do. They conquer a lot of the Philistines as the text goes on. And David, of course, he takes uh, the uh, the armor and he puts it in his tent and the sword, etc. And then Saul, he's like, well, who is this guy? Yes, Abner's general. Who is this boy? I don't know, maybe he just, he'd already encountered him, but I guess maybe he's just a busy guy and he'd forgot. But anyway, they inquired, well, he's the son of Jesse. And so anyway, it was a, a tremendous victory, tremendous victory. Now, it's a, just a tremendous story. To me, it, 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 it builds faith, it builds confidence, but you know, there's some practical applications I see from this story that you know we have battles sometimes, we have to fight. I mean, there, there are sometimes pretty big problems that we face in life. And there are texts that talk about uh, various battles, spiritual battles that we have to face. You notice there in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 10. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, uh, notice there verses 3 through 5. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5. <clears throat> All right, so Paul talks about we're in war, but it's not, it's not a, fl- a fleshly war. But it's a, it's a spiritual battle. He says, pulling down a stronghold. 
there are, there are some sometimes pretty tough battles we have to face in life. Uh, are there in the book of First uh, Timothy six and number twelve? Uh, well, you can look at Ephesians ten that talks about our spiritual battle. Notice there First uh, Timothy six and number twelve. First Timothy. 6. All right, fight the good fight of faith. See, it's a, it's a, it's an issue of faith. That that's the key. Is just have confidence and put trust in God. And we look at stories like David and Goliath and, and we just imagine and we think and, and just it pictures in our mind of how David, the, the young, young lad David had great confidence and because of his great confidence he conquered Goliath. And you look at uh, various uh, uh, texts in the scriptures and various stories and what, what's it do? It builds faith in our hearts. That just as David served the true living God, we serve the same God today in 2017. And just as David uh, encountered a great battle and was victorious, because he was something old, but because God was on his side and he put his confidence in God and God was with him and helped him, he was able to overcome. And so it is that we have battles. And, and it could be a number of things. I just threw up some. We have to fight our Goliath. It might be false religion. Maybe, Maybe there's... And they can be pretty persuasive in argumentation. Maybe it's somebody in your family or co-worker you're trying to talk with, you have to deal with, or coming out of it. That, that can be a great battle and great challenge. Worldliness can be a great battle. Pride and haughtiness. You know, we just, that's part of the human nature is our pride. And Satan, he figures out ways to stroke our pride, to get us lifted up in, in, in haughtiness and, and self-confidence of fears and worries. I mean, problems that just seem so big. How are we going to deal with the temptation, family trouble? I mean, you could add to whatever you want to the list that, that is a very difficult situation to deal with. And like David, we, we just have to have faith. We have to have courage. And our courage will be related to our faith. And our courage and faith, they just sort of go ahead. We've got to trust in God and we've got to take courage. And I just uh, in the closing couple of minutes here, we've got uh, just a few verses to look at. And we look at our problems in life, whatever they might be. I, it could be any number of challenges. I, it could be different for each individual, various Goliaths that we have to face. And do we just cower down? Do we just we just fall to pieces and just be dismayed? Oh, 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 there's no way. There's no way. All right, 1 John 4 and verse 4. Someone want to read that? 1 John 4, 4. Right, the one that is in you is greater than the one that's in the world. And yeah, Goliath, he was big and dawning, but God was bigger. Yeah, with the spies, yeah, there were giants in the land, but remember, there was a God that was bigger than the giants. There was a there was someone, somebody that was bigger than Goliath, and that was God. And so we put our confidence in God, that God will help us to deal with the situation. Look in chapter 5, First uh, John 5, number 4. First John 5, number 4. Someone want to read that for us? All right. This is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. And that word victory is a quite an interesting term. In the New Testament language, it's the word Nike. You know what that is? Nike. We pronounce it Nike. Nike shoes, the swoosh. It is a New Testament word. It means it's from the imagery of conquest or victory of athletic competition. And so, I don't know, somebody picked that out and they named their shoes Nike. And that they made gazillions of dollars. <laughs> but, but Nike, that, that's the word here. Nike is, uh, I think, the correct pronunciation. Nike. 
Victory. Victory is for who? For the saints. For those that trust in God. For God's people. That's where David, he put his faith in the true living God. And that's where we've got to put our faith, is in the true living God. And then notice Romans chapter 8 and verse 37, another tremendous verse. I love this verse. Romans 8 and number 27. Someone want to read that for us? All right. So we are more than conquerors. The, the literal ideal is hyper-victorious. You have kids that are hyper, hyper-drive. And literally means super-victorious. We are super-conquerors through him that loved us. We find super-victory in Christ Jesus. It would be like, you know, that analogy of the basketball game, a pickup game. You know, if I got LeBron James on my team, and I got, you know, Michael Jordan, even though he's retired, I got him on my team. I take, we had three on three. Pick any three you want. I'm going to be on the winning team. Because I got got LeBron James, Michael Jordan on my side. It's not because of me. (laughs) I know maybe I might get a rebound occasionally, and maybe I might score two points, but hey, we're going to win. That's not going to. Because me, because two guys I got on my team when we're playing three on three. And that, ladies and gentlemen, it's the way it is that when we got God on our team, Christ on our side, hey, we are super victorious. And then Philippians 4 and verse 13, I think we all know that one by memory. I can do all things through, I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. So that's just a, another one of those tremendous, tremendous verses there. Alright, so, great story, David and Goliath. He had great courage because he had great faith. The only way we're going to have great courage is to have great faith in God. All right, well, that uh, ends it for this night's session. Tomorrow night we'll be talking about uh, David and Saul and a lot of interesting lessons there that we'll look at.